Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Liberty and the Law, the podcast series that examines the critical elements of a strong legal defense in criminal cases. Join respected attorney James Dore for this lively discussion on the rights of criminal defendants and the important role defense attorneys play in our legal system. In the realm of uh, defense, one of the more common charges a defense attorney will see is domestic battery. Um, now, while referring to that as common, I don't mean to diminish the severity of the charge, but as we will learn, there, there are a number of different outcomes that might occur based on circumstances, but it's certainly one that uh, is, is fairly frequently seen. Uh, hi, everybody. This is Jim Mitchell, and, and today on Liberty and the Law, I'll be joined again by Defense Attorney James Dore of Lavelle Law. And we're going to spend some time talking about uh, this type of offense and, and how it may be handled in court by the defense attorney get a little uh, little information about uh, the different ways that it might be approached. So we will get to that. Uh, James Dore, good afternoon. Nice to talk to you again. Good afternoon, Jim. Uh, looking forward to another great show. Yeah, great, great topic. We've touched on it a little bit in the past, but, um, you know, as I mentioned, it's a, a domestic battery. Battery are fairly, fairly familiar charges. I'm sure you see them on a regular basis. When, when I throw that term out, my guess is that it's sort of a broad definition can cover a lot of different things. Is is it really encompass a number of different uh, types of uh, infractions, as it were? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it, there's if we're looking in the terms of domestic uh, battery, there's protected people out there, and it could be different members of uh, what's defined as a household member. A household member would cover a lot of categories that people wouldn't necessarily consider a family member or a traditional household member in the past. Um, and it could also cover different conduct uh it can cover conduct that um where there would be no no bodily harm so there's some some twists and turns to the domestic battery scenarios uh they're often often quite interesting when when uh when looked at and yeah i want to go back because you just mentioned something that I, I had listed as a question so does there always need to be some some form of physical contact or, or are there other ways a charge could be brought there needs to be a contact. There, there could be charged in one of two ways as a, as a Class A misdemeanor. Uh, contact mm-hmm. that uh, causes bodily harm, and there's also uh, insulting or provoking contact that can do that. So there's really there's two different different ways under the, the misdemeanor statute to charge that. And, and as, as a charge like this is, is evaluated and, and you have to start doing your work, we're going to talk a lot about that as, as the conversation goes on, but... How important, if at all, is is intent or proving intent? Um, you know, some of these things might just happen in the spur of a moment. Some might be more premeditated. Is that a, is that a factor at all? It's it's unlike other things. Like, uh, well, say in a murder scenario, you can have first degree murders where there's premeditation and, and, and intent, specific intent. But you can also have under the statute uh, things that are by accident or not necessarily uh, intentionally caused. So, mm-hmm. same kind of thing. It, it's different in the in the domestic battery scenario. You're not necessarily looking for a specific intent to cause bodily harm, or in the category, say, the insulting or provo- provoking contact. You don't necessarily need to. The state doesn't necessarily need to prove a specific intent. They need to prove more or less a general intent, or you know that you made the con the, the uh, contact, and you know the effect on the listener or the effect on the on the complaining witness or the victim in the case is would have you know it's the effect on that that witness so say was that person insulted or provoked so this the 
know, the, the emphasis is a little bit different than it would be in a specific intent crime. Okay. Now, for this crime to be charged, we assume that the police are involved at some point. Someone calls the police in a domestic battery case. What happens when the police arrive, or what would they normally go through to try and sort out what's happening in front of them? Well, they try to separate the parties, calm the situation down, um, and they're always got to keep in mind officers are always uh, uh, cognizant of officer safety. So those situations where they're responding to a domestic battery are often quite volatile, and when they step in, a lot of times they be they become the battered person in trying to break up these things. So officer safety is always uh, paramount on their mind when they step into these scenarios. So they want to defuse it, try to separate the parties. But if there's if they see evidence of a battery being committed, they will make an arrest. They, they are by, under the law; they are required to. Yeah, tell me about that because I, I I wanted to know. So if, if the police show up, are they at that point, regardless of what they find, do they need to file charges of some sort, or can they come observe, as you say, separate one, and if it seems calm, walk away without any charges? If, if there's no battery involved, I mean, if it's if it's not a situation where they actually see evidence of a battery, more often than not, then they, they'll try to defuse the situation. But, you know, generally there's going to be some sort of evidence here. There's going to be a party, a party that's, that's uh, provoked. And they, so they may just, you know, to defuse the situation, again, make that arrest. So I, in, in my experience, when the police are called in a, in a domestic battery situation, they want to defuse the situation, and they will quite often make an arrest. That is very common. That they'll see some evidence of a crime being committed, and then be and then again be required to make an arrest. Now we've discussed in the past um, some DUI cases and things that get handled there. You've always stressed the point that the defendant should really, you know, just never say anything to the police until they have an attorney. Does does that philosophy apply in a domestic battery case as well? Oh, I, I agree. Yeah, it definitely applies in a case like that. Um, quite often, these are he said, she said scenarios. And mm-hmm. when you picture yourself at a trial, and, you know, the state has the obligation to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. It's their burden. So they have to put that, their case on. And a lot of times, the you know, defendant's own words coming back, even if, not even meant to, is, is, is an admission of guilt, but they can establish enough to help the prosecutor's make their case. So I think it's very important not to make statements. They will, the police will try to get you to make a statement. I mean, they're, they, they're, it's, they're investigating a crime. But if, in that situation, I, I think it's, it's still very, very important. I've had cases that the, the only difference, the, the difference between that guilty verdict and what would have been a not guilty was the statement by the defendant. Even a, flat, even a denial of something has been, tell, has been used as um, evidence of guilt. So it's the best policy is to request a lawyer, demand your lawyer, and then not say anything else. And as you uh, begin investigating a, a domestic battery case, you get the police report. We talked about discovery and the evidence that you would get in various cases. What, what are you looking for in, in these particular instances? Yeah, but in the domestic situation, there's there's – if I can get in on a timely basis, that's the key. If I get in early enough, there's a lot of uh, items that I can get. I can get mm-hmm. 911 calls that after a certain amount of time, let's say somebody waits to hire a lawyer for 60 days. Well, I may not get access to those recordings after 30. 
Different policy, different departments follow different policies. And a lot of times a 911 call can, can really help a, a defendant's case. Let's say um, a person's calling in. They're calling 911 to, to, to make that complaint about a domestic case. But the person calling has a perfectly normal voice. It doesn't sound upset at all. Very matter of fact about things. Well, mm-hmm. and then later on, if that same person is saying they're insulted or provoked or suffering from some sort of bodily harm, well, that doesn't necessarily, that's not consistent with that calm, rational voice on the phone. So there's different things on the, how the voice is coming across. Um, there's different things to be said that can help uh, the defendant's case. So it's very important to get in early to request those kind of items. Um, recordings would be one. I always want to see police reports. I always want to see the victim's statement because uh, you're looking for inconsistencies in, in those statements along the way. Yeah, there's any number of things we're looking for, but a lot of key things we talked about, those police reports, um, is, there, is there photo evidence? You know, I want to see those up front as early as I can to prepare that case for trial, or if we're going to talk about negotiations, which we've had many shows about, um, again, I, I want to see that evidence too, see how strong of a case the prosecutor has. And it lets me know, you know how I need to approach the case. I'm uh, visiting today, as I do each month, with uh, Lavelle Law, criminal defense attorney James Dorr. And, and let me suggest this. When, when our conversation ends, um, listeners, you hop over to LavelleLaw.com and check out the criminal defense page. You'll, you'll find articles, past podcasts, and you can also visit the attorney profiles page on that site. And there you'll learn more about James's uh, several decades uh, of work as an attorney. You'll see the seal from the American Association of Premier DUI Attorneys on the page and Note the extensive training he's had in, in various uh, forms of DUI testing as well. Uh, he's here every month on Liberty and the Law to help us better understand the role of, of the defense attorney, and we're you're hearing about domestic battery cases today. Um, James, as we talk about the charges, is there a line from which this becomes moves from a, a misdemeanor to a felony offense? There's a, the, some different scenarios that can aggravate the domestic battery uh, um, charge itself. Some, some would uh, make a, a, a harsher penalty be imposed or cause a harsher penalty to be imposed on a misdemeanor. And some, um, some factors actually elevate the charge from a misdemeanor to a felony charge. Um, a common scenario would be uh, bodily harm if it's a great bodily harm scenario. That can move into a felony. Um, if there's a domestic battery committed while uh, that person, the defendant, was already on an order of protection, that could enhance it to a felony. So there's different, there's different scenarios that the prosecutor could look at and determine whether or not to seek a felony indictment on a case. So those, those little factors, is, like I said, there's, there's different things um, you know, that we need to look for in domestic cases and you know, whether or not somebody has a prior domestic battery or one of those other factors I just mentioned. Well, it, it, we have to look out for that, too, anticipating whether the prosecutor may seek to enhance that case. Because there's things we need to do to prepare for that. And assuming it's a first-time offense um, and it falls in the misdemeanor category, what, what are the probable outcomes if it, if it actually ends up in court? Well, the, one of the, the twists and turns in the, in the domestic battery scenario is the fact that uh, court supervision as a sentence is not available to the sentencing judge. So as we talked about before with court supervision, uh, that's an important uh, 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 alternative for a defendant because it 
if done correctly, if if, the, if you follow all the recommendations and requirements of court supervision, the case is considered dismissed at the end of it, and in many cases is eligible for expungement. So mm-hmm. court supervision on domestic battery is not available. So that means upon a finding of guilt or a, a plea of guilty, that judge has to sentence a conviction, and that conviction will follow you for the rest of your life. You cannot get it expunged. Um, that's, a, that's a misdemeanor conviction. Uh, permanently on somebody's record. So it's important going into these scenarios to try to factor this out because there's many careers that are jeopardized by uh, a conviction. And I, it's in a common scenario for me would be to point that out to the prosecutor, get some, you know, some letters together, some character evidence that I can get from my clients, and then try to persuade the, the prosecutor that say, hey, you know, we can maybe can reduce this case to a, a lesser charge when it carries a, a benefit of court supervision. And that way we can hopefully preserve my client's criminal record. So that's really the, one of the important scenarios or factors to keep in mind is that prosecutors have discretion on how they charge these cases. And, and I was going to, that's a great topic here. We've got just about a minute or so left, but um, this type of charge again is one that, um, possibly lends itself to you having those negotiating scenarios and conversations with the prosecutor and try and find some common ground to, to maybe get this resolved before it ends up in the courtroom? Very much so. And there's other things, too, like say there's an order of protection that can be negotiated out. There's the, the, the charge itself. Can it be a simple battery versus a domestic battery? Um, the prosecutors will always want to talk to their victims in cases, particularly in domestic scenarios. They'll want to talk to the complaining witness. And see, is this a situation that was a one-time thing, an argument that just spun a little out of control? Was there alcohol involved? If that case, they'll want counseling. There's anger issues, they'll, they'll want counseling for that. So there's different things that they could seek um, as a sentence alternative that's different than, say, just a conviction or jail time or something like that to really get to the, the, the cause of whatever the problem was and try and solve it from that angle. Well, I can't uh, can't tell you how uh, how much I always look forward to these conversations with James Dore from Lavelle Law. Uh, very informative, very helpful. Uh, certainly appreciate his time and uh, look forward to having future conversations with him down the road. Um, uh, very much uh, always uh, a, a good conversation. So thanks to James for being here. Um, what we'll do is kind of wrap things up now. Um, let me remind you to head over to LavelleLaw.com or give him a call at 847-705-7555 and uh, maybe uh, get a little time to learn more about his knowledge and experience and how that may help you. Thank you for listening, and look forward to talking to you again on Liberty and the Law.